Hi, this is James Altucher. Thank you for listening to Eric Cabral's Entrepreneur Circle. On this episode. Until 2017, you could not technologically own something. In 2017, a technology known as non-fungible tokens or NFTs emerged. CryptoPunks were the first mainstream one to emerge, so they're considered a collectible now, that allow you to own something on the web. And that opens up massive possibilities in disintermediation. That means not having middle parties that play a role that is not needed, because now you can own something. You don't need a central party that says you own it, and that moves it from one place to another. You can send it to wherever you want, just like in the physical world. Everything that you own in the physical world, you can own something similar or the same thing in the digital world. Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Circle, where we built a community that shares lessons learned throughout our journeys, celebrate wins, our eureka moments, and embrace the F word, meaning failure, which I've come to realize that failure is success in progress. I'm Eric Cabral, your host, a husband, a father of two brilliant girls, and I've been called a heart-centered entrepreneur by my peers and mentors. My mission in life is to make the world a better place, one mic at a time. So I'm happy and humble to have you join in on that mission. And I hope that by the end of the show, we would have added value in your life. So if you're ready to jump into the circle, let's get to it. Hello, this is Josh McCowan, CEO of Viva May Hospitality and the beautiful Renault Resort Winery. I have to tell you, the secret's out. And the secret is On Air Brands. On Air Brands Creative Agency, which specializes in launching podcasts, transforming live events into live streaming events, and social media marketing soup to nuts. On Air Brands has changed the game. There'll never be a day from here forward when you and I and our companies don't need to be on the air. Every brand needs to be on the air, but so few know that. So it's great to work with a group that are ahead of the curve and to find a company that has been built on the core foundation of the future of marketing. If you're ready to broadcast your brand like they've done for my brands, take the next step and make a change that can transform your business, reach out to On Air Brands today. That's onairbrands.com. Yes, onairbrands.com. Welcome back, folks. As always, I am your most happy and humbled host of the Entrepreneur Circle. And I'm ready to rock here in this episode because I'm here to learn always. And I'm hoping that um, you get some nuggets here and there as well. If you are interested in NFTs and the technology behind it and how, and what, you know, this is, this is really, really going to be an episode, uh, Walter first, um, after 200 plus episodes, we are here talking about NFTs. Um, you know, I've avoided having this conversation with Gary V cause he's always asking to be on my show to talk about it. It's obviously kidding. Um, but yeah, that I know from what he talks about, that's all I know. And it's very little cause I, I don't have much interest, but our guest today by the name of Mario, is going to share with us and give us insights on what the heck NFTs is all about. If you have questions, if you have ideas, if you have an interest in it, this is the episode for you. So welcome to the show, Mario Nafal. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good, brother. 
Uh, Mario's coming all the way from Dubai. So I'm glad he flew in for this one uh, because it's <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm going to give you a quick, quick uh, sort of bookended sort of life story of Mario. So in 2012, this dude started his life in sales, selling blenders door to door for a company called Fruity Australia. And he began that journey with 300 bucks in his pocket. And he started with unconventional marketing strategies, creating efficient systems, and helping to build a team of global contractors that brought that company, Fruity, from a million to 10 million in two years. All bootstrapped, folks. All bootstrapped with the eye. I totally, totally, totally appreciate um, because. That's how I start my companies, all bootstrapped. So let's fast forward to today. And he's now in the NFT space. He's a co-founder and the CEO of NFT Technologies. And he's a, he's he offers investors access to, to NFTs. And they curate the portfolios and partnerships and um, build relationships in the space so that people can gain access, gain some knowledge, and start participating. So I want to start from the beginning of that time in your mind uh, where there was that light bulb, that eureka moment. So, so, so give it to us. Yeah. I, I, um, I didn't even know about the concept of entrepreneurship when I was going to university in Australia. So I was studying banking and finance and I thought, you know, I'll make my millions at age, whatever, 35, 40, uh, you know, going through the, the traditional hierarchical uh, structure that we live by. And then I, I saw a video, you know, that eureka moment. I saw a video of a boy called Farah Gray. It was an old video and he talked about how he made his first million dollars at age 13. That caught me by surprise. Uh, I immediately dropped out of university. I was doing really well, dropped out in the second year and got the first job I can get my hands on. And obviously that was door knocking for commission because that's the easiest job you can get. And I started selling water filters before blenders. Did really well. I started making six figures pretty much off the bat. And um, a year later I launched Fruity which uh, got to, to eight figures in two years and, and now still operates. I'm, I'm the owner, but I don't operate it personally in over 30 countries. But that was my first business that still exists today. I had a record year last year. Amazing. Yeah. And then I got into crypto in 2017. Um, I found out, you know, I've been watching Bitcoin for a while. I was more of a blockchain guy rather than Bitcoin. Anyone that understands crypto probably understands there was a big debate a few years ago about Bitcoin versus blockchain. Bitcoin will die, but blockchain is here to stay. Obviously, Bitcoin didn't die. Um, but yeah, I, I got into the space in 2017, launched a company called IBC, International Blockchain Consulting. I'm still you know, the, the majority shareholder there by far, uh, but not operating it, not the CEO. And it's now one of the biggest incubators in the space, uh, accelerators and incubators behind some pretty big projects. That's IBC, International Blockchain Consulting. Then I became a partner at International Blockchain Legal, a crypto law firm. And then the sexiest thing is IB is NFT tech, which uh, we started about a year and a bit ago in 2020, end of 2020. Um, so we got the ticker NFT and we're working to list it on the stock market. So that's our goal is to list it on the stock market in, um, in a couple of months under the ticker NFT. Um, so, you know, that's uh, going really, really well. And um, that will essentially give exposure to the retail investor, give them exposure to NFTs without having to spend hours going deep in the space and understanding it. Yeah. Dude, so you've you've done a, a ton of different things, um, you know, from from the, the smoothies, you know, then getting into uh, blockchain and creating incubators. 
give us give us what sort of transpired and and the evolution towards NFTs. Like when when did that come into your headspace and you became aware of it? And then how quickly did you move on it and why? Yeah, I knew about CryptoKitties back in twenty, I think it's twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen. Wait, back up because I would talk. What's CryptoKitties? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's 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 go. Yeah, let's talk uh, to the audience as well as myself. Let just just assume we know nothing. We know nothing right, about this stuff. That's so, set, cool. It's it's essentially so CryptoKitties were the first NFT. It was a silly concept where you get those kitties. Now I'll explain what NFTs are in a second, because that's anyone that thinks they know NFTs, what they are. I I promise you, you likely don't. That applies to most of the listeners now. And including that includes many people in the crypto space. Now, before explaining what NFTs are, I heard about it through CryptoKitties, which was the concept of owning something on the web. And that, that's a revolutionary concept. I'll explain. Let's get into the definition. So I own these AirPods. Actually, they're not mine. Mine are somewhere else on the table. But let's say I own these. I own these AirTables. I own this uh, AirPods, this, um, this phone, this mic, these glasses I was wearing earlier. Now, I'm flying to Australia in a few days. And my brother's wedding. Then I head off to Turkey to, to dance a bit. And then I head back probably to Dubai. I was in Morocco last week. And I'll probably be traveling at least twice to three times a month. Okay. Wherever I go in the world, I've got my suitcase and my um, everything I own, my stuff. And I'll have my credit card that I own. And I'll have my identity that I own and my passport. Okay. I own these wherever I go. And why do I, or do I own them? Because they're in my you know, my bag or my, my house or, or my area of ownership, let's say, you know, something sitting, sitting on a table and there's something right next to you, people will assume automatically that that's yours. Okay. There's no one that says I own them. Starbucks is not saying, Hey, Mario owns this stuff next to him. Okay. There's no central entity that says I own that. In the digital space, space, in the digital space, that's impossible or that was impossible. You couldn't, before 2017, you couldn't actually own something without a central entity saying you own it. So that means if you own a photo, no, you don't. Instagram owns it. It's on their platform and they say that you own it. They say that it's yours unless they remove your account or they go bankrupt. A video on YouTube, YouTube says you own that video. So it's always central entities, numbers on a screen, you know, money. A bank was there to make sure that money is yours and that money moves from using the SWIFT system. It moves from one uh, account to another. But you couldn't do that without those central entities because technologically it was impossible. What CryptoKitties allowed is to allow the concept of ownership leveraging the blockchain technology. So now I own, if you buy, let's say a CryptoPunk or I'll, I'll explain what that is later or anything really, an asset within a game or land in a metaverse, or whatever it is, that's yours no matter what. You could do whatever you want with it. No one could tell you what you could do with it. You could trade it. You can own it. You could build a strip club on it if you bought land. You could do whatever you want because that's yours. You own that asset. And you can even move it from one one place to another. And that will get really interesting when we touch on the metaverse. But you can move it from one metaverse to another. So to simplify what I just said, until 2017, you could not technologically own something. In 2017, a technology known as non-fungible tokens or NFTs emerged. CryptoPunks were the first mainstream one to emerge, so they're considered a collectible now. 
that allow you to own something on the web. And that opens up massive possibilities and disintermediation. That means not having middle parties that, that play a role that is not needed because now you can own something. That don't, you don't need a central party that says you own it and that moves it from one place to another. You can send it to wherever you want. Just like in the physical world, you can, I can give this AirPods to someone else. So this is what NFTs are. When I first heard about them, I ignored the concept. I'm like, sounds cool, but it's going to take a long time to start seeing use cases and CryptoKitties look crap. I didn't expect the massive hype um, you know, that we had in the last year around collectibles and art because you can own art, you know, similar to you know, that painting there or collectibles. I don't have any collectibles, but collectibles as well. You can own them in the physical world, like cards, coins, stamps. You can own them in the digital world. So that was kind of the beginning of the hype, which is arts and collectibles. I think the next phase will be in-game assets, which we can touch on later. But in brief, for the for anyone listening, especially entrepreneurs, who are saying, okay, what can I do in this space? Everything that you own in the physical world, you can own something similar or the same thing in the digital world. You know, sit on this for a few days, and then you, get, you start getting, you start understanding the massive freaking opportunities that we haven't even begun to experience. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Or uh, as, as some of my groups say, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a card on the table, right? And, uh, let's, let's see how it plays out. So let's go old school. Um, you know, I would, I'm, I'm gen, I'm gen X and then, uh, but I want to pull it back to the, uh, to the boomers, right? So like my dad or my, you know, my, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, <laughs> they only understand physical, like you said, you know, on this, this, I own this paper pad, I own this phone, um, physically. And then if I want to sell something, I can hand it to someone and give them cash for it. Um, now when I have the conversation, which is nowhere near as, uh, intellectual or as knowledge as you are in the space, but I'll explain it to them in this way. And then if you can expand from there, um, you're already accustomed. They they worry about all that stuff. Like, how is a what if the servers go down? What if um you know what if somebody hacks you know my thing and takes all my stuff? It's like, well, you've been doing this for decades. You haven't been handling physical money for a long time. And you got comfortable with that. You got comfortable with your currency being transacted online now on your phones. So that's the first sort of entry for them when I speak to them about getting comfortable with this idea that you don't own physical stuff, but you've already been playing in the digital space. So can you kind of share with the audience who still have some hesitation and, 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 and lack of understanding myself included on, on how this is protected. And then, you know, cause I know these are servers all over the world that are sort of, you know, security and all of that stuff is involved. Can you kind of explain like the, the safety aspect and how it it's going to evolve and, and, and become second nature. Yeah. Um, I recommend everyone spend some time looking at old articles and old videos back in the late nineties of people talking about the internet. And then the things they say, like, how can I trust that I send an email that no one else will see it or that it will arrive? Or how can I trust that I put a password and no one's going to go in and see my password or I put my photos how do I expect my photos to always be there? Like if I put in my in my drawer, they're in my drawer. I can always check. If I put them on the, the thing called the information web or information superhighway, whatever they used to call the internet back then, how do I know it will always be there? How do I know the people that are holding it don't just take it and start looking at my photos or open up my emails? List goes on. 
So the same, your human brain is designed to seek safety as part of our survival instinct. And one of those things is, is resisting change. It's probably one of the worst things to have as an entrepreneur because change is, leads to opportunities. You can come up with a big list of flaws in the NFT space, in the crypto space right now. I can help you come up with that list because there's a lot, including a lot of scams, a lot of hype, a lot of pump and dumps, lack of regulation. This goes on. A similar list, the similar list existed back in 1995 and 2000 and 2005. So what people need to understand, and, and, and I can give other examples back in history. What people need to understand is it's normal for innovation to take time. The human brain overestimates the short-term impact of innovation, but underestimates the long-term potential. So right now, people are overestimating the short-term impact. They expect the world to move to digital world, everything to become an NFT, um, and third, you know, middle, middle parties, um, intermediaries no longer being needed. That's going to take a really long time. But long-term, it's inevitable because it just makes sense. It makes life better. And that's what we tend to, to go towards. Um, but yeah, it will take time. The, the hurdles you can face now are expected. There'll be more than you know of. Um, and that's part of the evolution of the space, part, part of the Gartner hype cycle as well. Got it. So I'm going to take as much advantage of this time together to gain more clarity. And if it's as slow as, you know, you know, Bear with us and bear with me, you know, uh, be patient in terms of like, I want to, I want to understand and no, I want my I'm, audience I'm to understand. So, happy to, happy to. And I have, I have, you can come in, man. I just had my, one of my team members come all the way from Canada. Yeah. So I'm on the interview now. Uh, Welcome to upstairs. the show, brother. Um, yeah, um, he just landed, he just landed all the way from Canada. But yeah, I'm happy to go deep into yeah. this and, and break it down Please. and so, deal all, all the, all the things that you don't understand or don't make sense to you. Let me yeah. know. I, so here's where I want to start. Um, because you, you, you touched on phase one, which is collectibles and art, right? That's in full effect right now. And that's what people know about. And then, and then you, you, let's work our way into phase two, like the in-game assets that you, that you alluded to. So yeah. Can you explain to people who only know the term, they don't even know that it means non-fungible tokens, right? So NFTs, first phase, explain the collectibles and art and how that's sort of benefiting people. Yeah. I don't like that space. Um, because I'm not an arts person and I'm not a, I'm not a collector. So it's interesting how it started arts and collectibles because there's just so many more applications, but the first, you know, first use case that kind of people could relate to, um, you know, top shot was one of the early, early companies to kind of bring that hype to market. Who was that? Top shot. So top shot was top shot is a company that allows you to collect similar to how you collect basketball and baseball cards. Mm. They allow you to collect the, the equivalent in a digital version. And they made it instead of a card, they made it into like a moment, like a, a four second clip and you own that clip and they make different copies of it and different rarities and stuff. So arts and collectibles is a lot of human nature to, you know, it, it, people could relate to it. People love to collect stuff um, and, and a lot of cultural relevance as well. But then it, if, that's how it started. And then it evolved into a massive money grab and hype. Um, People wanted to collect every single art and it became a whole pump and dump scheme. Like all these different collector collections coming up and people pump and dump, people wanting to, you know, invest, buy up, buy up, and then try to sell later and flip it at a profit. Mm. So it became like a big casino and that's how it is now and that's not sustainable. But that was the first use case because, you know, you can own stuff and obviously collectibles is something you can own. And that also made sense because we're so early right now, people 
that know, like me, we know that the world will change in massive ways because of that new technology of, of allowing digital ownership. It will change the world in ways that, that even I can't understand yet. I can't, I can't begin to imagine. So people like that and like myself, we're like, all right, cool. If we know the, this technology is going to revolutionize the world, let's buy up some early adaptations of that technology like CryptoPunks and others. Let's buy up some of that early art because later they'll be considered collectibles and their value will go up significantly. So that's the, the, the beginning of that, that demand um, was based on that mindset, on that concept that these will become collector items because we're so early. It's like um, trying to give an example a long time. It's like, you know, when cars were first created, a rich guy buys the first car made by Henry Ford and just holds it there, collects it, knowing that cars are going to change the world. And the first car ever made, the first car out of the production line, is be you know be sitting in a museum somewhere. Mm. Gotcha. And the but values. that doesn't excite me. That doesn't excite me. Just to, like gotcha. that doesn't excite me at all. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I want to get into what you're excited about. But can you explain? Because you mentioned it a couple of times. What CryptoPunks is? Yeah, CryptoPunks is is um, and, and I like CryptoPunks. I'm actually a big fan of them. I think they were and they still are a bit overpriced. CryptoPunks were one of the early NFTs. They're a bunch of ugly photos, 10,000 of them, that were created as an, by, by a company called Lava Labs. And they're one of the first mainstream NFTs ever created. Okay. So they, they were pretty much for free when they first created. Now the cheapest one you can get is like two, $300,000. And there's 10,000 of them. They go up to over $10, $15 million, depending how rare they are. And then there are a bunch of photos with random, you know, some have a hat, some have glasses, some are zombies, some are humans. And different rarities represent, you know, it means they're more valuable because they're more rare. If you have a hooded one, that's more valuable than one that's bald and, and got like buck teeth or something. So that might sound all stupid, but thinking a hundred years ahead, people might hold that as a collectible because this is the first mainstream NFT. Now NFTs are, you know, imagine I give you the first gun ever created or the first gun used in World War II. Um, you're probably going to consider that to be valuable because it's the first. There's always value behind being the first. So that's what CryptoPunks represent. And they started becoming more, so that's how they started. And then they evolved more of a signal. Now, if you have a a CryptoPunk and someone can verify that you own it on the blockchain, because NFTs allow you to verify ownership without third party, I own my CryptoPunk and I can send it to whoever I want. So if people see that you have a CryptoPunk, if you go on my Twitter, it's got a CryptoPunk as a photo. It's a, it's a signal. It's a flex and a signal. For me, it's a signal that first, you know, I'm, I'm successful. I'm well off. It's like wearing a Rolex in the physical world or driving a Rolls Royce. Um, and it shows you that you're a believer in, 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 this, um, in, this, you know, in the, you know, this new world that we're going to be experiencing over the next few decades. So that's what CryptoPunks represent. Mm. More of a signal rather than representing belief in the space. So people would buy it up as a signal and became a really strong community. There's another one called Board, Board Apes Yacht Club, which is after CryptoPunks, but they have an even stronger community. Um, and people would buy the CryptoPunks to represent their identity, to represent um, they signal their wealth or whatever it is. And they're probably not going to sell it. Like Jay-Z, Jay-Z owns a CryptoPunk that kind of looks like him, but he's not probably never going to sell it because that represents his CryptoPunk that looks like him. He's going to hold it for a long time. So there's only 10,000 of them. More and more people are buying them as a way to represent their identity as their avatar in that digital world, as mm. their Twitter photo, profile photo, for example. Um, and their value goes up based on that concept that people will own it, buy it and hold it. Um, as a representation of their identity instead of flipping it. Um, and it became a, a strong community. So that's what uh, crypto punks are, owning these ugly photos that represent a piece of history. Let me um, 
let me try to simplify um, from my perspective. What's to stop? Like, how does the protection and security in terms of like owning this piece of art, uh, what prevents me from taking a screenshot of Jay-Z's crypto punk avatar, whatever you want to call it, and then just using it on mine, like how, what happens? What's the, what's the ramifications or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's the same way if I take a, a picture of Mona Lisa and then put it there, mm-hmm. um, you can verify it's not legitimate. Now, in, the, in a physical painting, it's a lot harder to verify. You have to get a specialist, et cetera. Maybe not the Mona Lisa, but most are, it's hard to verify. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and avid, and a, a crypto punk is very easy to verify on the blockchain. So um, someone will just, uh, you'll just check the contract address of that CryptoPunk and be able to check it on the blockchain. It's a bit technical now. Mm-hmm. Later it will become more simple, but on, on Twitter, they make it even simpler. Twitter now verifies if they're legitimate or not automatically. And instead of having a, a circle, uh, if you go on my Twitter, you'll see my, my, my Twitter profile is a hexagon. That means this image is verified to be legitimate because I linked it to my wallet and I confirmed mm-hmm. that this is actually mine. So um, already that you know, there's solutions to that, and more and more um, platforms will include solutions to verify this is real because it's very easy to verify. Gotcha, gotcha. Because you mentioned it as a flex, right? It's sort of a status symbol uh, yes. to own these, but it's all in the digital, non-physical space. So that's why I say it's it's relatively easy to recreate. And and who really, other than the people that are in an NFT or the blockchain space, is going to go in and try to verify, right? If if no somebody's one, no, using no, it, right? No one yet because it's technical. But again, as the space matures, similar mm-hmm. to how Twitter now allows automatic verification, um, and you can see if it's a hexagon, this is verified. Mm-hmm. Uh, over time, it becomes easier and easier to verify if something is real. The same way you can verify people's email now, or you can verify someone's Instagram account. It's very easy to know this is yours. It's not a fake Marion Awful. Yeah. You got that blue check, for example. <laughs> Have you ever felt like a lone wolf in life, unable to engage in chats around the barbecue since you're doing things that aren't the norm? Enter GoBundance, a place for driven entrepreneurs, CEOs, or investors who want to experience world-class adventure, bucket list trips, high-minded conversations, authentic relationships, and an environment to learn and grow with like-minded individuals where you're able to share in all of your successes, your struggles, ambitions, and even your failures without being judged. It's the best place for men and women to come together to live epic lives and to grab life big. If you want to learn more about GoBundance, go to GoBundance.com and apply to be in the tribe. And I hope to see you at the next virtual or live event. Okay, cool. That was that was awesome, man. Thanks for for sharing sort of the the yeah, first I'd, phase. I'd, I'd also I'd also say it's easier to recreate it in the digital world. Like it's harder to create, you know, to put Mona Lisa. They have to go print it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's harder to verify this, and it's easier to verify verify as well in the digital world. So it's easier yeah. to recreate, but it's also easier to verify. The I imagine the verification of it. You know, I'm I'm into collectibles in terms of like say comic books, um, and I remember. I still literally have comics uh, from 40 years ago. And eventually, at some point, decades later, they started to to get verification for these books. And, you know, like an expert comes in, magnifying glass and check marks, like all the quality checks, and then seals it and puts a, a foil stamp on it, you know, to verify that this is legit. So I imagine that's going to be at some point where people can own something and then they they just stack they collect it right they 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 collect and then other people can see like you said through hexagons and other different ways to verify and then 
that is your status symbol. You have all these collectibles in the digital space. So where did you see that you said that uh, phase two is is going to be uh, in-game assets? So in-game assets, yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm a very big fan of the metaverse, which is a really overhyped term right now, especially since Facebook rebranded to Meta. So I'll explain what the metaverse is because that's where it gets even more exciting. And then why I'm talking about the metaverse when we're discussing NFTs. Well, the metaverse is a digital representation of the physical world we live in today. So what do you do in the physical world now? You, let's see, you socialize, you signal your identity, belong in a community, entertain yourself, and the fifth one I forgot. So if you think about that, that kind of represents most of the things and, and build value, create value, and that's building a business and making money. So that represents most of the things you do on a daily, daily, on a daily basis. Imagine your day today. Unless you went to the gym to take care of your physical body or you ate nice food to take care of your physical body or slept or went to the bathroom or cleaned that body. Most other things, even cleaning the body is like, you know, signaling to the world, I'm a clean, well-off person. So most of the things you do in everyday life is either, you know, on Instagram, entertaining yourself or chatting to your friends on WhatsApp or going to a club to meet the, a beautiful girl or guy. That's our everyday life. Okay. Now, if you think about it, already many of these aspects we do digitally. So right now we're, you know, we, we chatted a bit before the podcast. There's a bit of socializing there. We just did it on Zoom. How do I know you're real? How do I know this isn't like a, an AI avatar? So, so we haven't physically met. We, we are talking about business, creating value, which is something we usually do in a physical world in a boardroom or for having this interview 10, 20, 30 years ago, I have physically, or you have to physically visit me. So, Already we're moving to that digital world. Instagram um, filters are the new makeup. YouTube is a new entertainment. Zoom is a new boardroom. So we're already, if you think about it, within that metaverse everyone uses in that digital world. But it's still very early. Like right now, I'm still talking to you, but I, you know, I noticed my, 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 my colleague arrive here. I can see the lights. I can see the background. So it's like a, a mix of digital and physical world. But more importantly, it's not as immersive. But more importantly, it's still controlled by central entities, whether it's YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Zoom. There's always third parties operating it, and you're operating within their ecosystem that they control. Now, remember what I said about NFTs. NFTs allow for digital ownership, for disintermediation. That means the same way I can operate on, on this planet, I can walk around outside on, on public property that no company owns, and I could travel to any country. You've got that level of freedom in most countries in the world. On the web, that doesn't exist because it's controlled by a few central entities. Now that NFTs exist, technically now you can own stuff on the web. That means over time, that digital world is going to become more free, more similar to the physical world. That means I can go from one world to another, from one metaverse. Now I'm going to move to metaverses that are more immersive. From one metaverse similar to the movie Ready Player One, if you've seen it, in the beginning, they show you that life within metaverses. You can start moving between different metaverses, whether it's a metaverse owned by Facebook or a metaverse owned by the US government or a metaverse owned by you, Eric, or my metaverse, or a metaverse owned by the community like Decentraland that no one owns it. Just like if you go to a jungle now in the Amazon, no one owns it. They could do whatever you want. You can pee whatever, you can eat whatever, you can whatever. It, you know, it's public property. Of, you know, I think that's how legally that's what, what this what is considered. Um, so that level of freedom now exists on the web, and that concept of ownership also exists. 
because of NFTs. So essentially, the technology of NFTs is like the atomic unit of the metaverse. It allows for an open, free metaverse, the same way Earth is an open, free planet that countries started establishing over hundreds or over thousands of years. So that will still be a bit difficult for people to digest. What I'm trying to say is close your eyes for a second. I want you to imagine, if you haven't watched the movie Ready Player One, it'll be a bit harder, but I want you to imagine you put those goggles on, those, those Facebook's um, Oculus, the, the Oculus um, goggles, okay, the headset. Imagine you put that in and you're, you're in a different world. You're walking in a, in a forest, okay? And then your friend, uh, you know, teleports and start meeting with you. And then you guys start walking around and you walk to his property and you see all the art he has collected there. You sit there, you chat, you invite your friends, you all teleport to a club. You start hanging out in the club. You would have dressed the nicest clothes that you have within the metaverse, digital clothes. And you're wearing those clothes in the club, socializing, meeting someone cool. Then you teleport to a boardroom wearing the same nice clothes and you meet other team members in the boardroom to negotiate a good deal. So you're moving from world to world, wearing the same assets. Now, this might sound simple, but it's very hard technologically. Wearing the same clothes in one world to another, gamers would look at me right now saying, this guy is crazy. Like, you know, when we play a game, we use the guns and assets in that game. But when we go to a new game, we can't use those same assets. We have to, you know, start everything from scratch. If our If one game goes bankrupt, everything's gone with it. But here on this planet, if, you know, Ukraine, there's a war in Ukraine now, people took their assets and left Ukraine. It's not like they left Ukraine and everything they have in Ukraine is gone. No, they took their, their, their holdings, they have their identity, they have their money, they have their clothes, they left the country in their suitcase. They could take their assets and move out of that country that's going through a tough time. So in the metaverse, if a metaverse shuts down or, or you know, people are using it less, you can move your assets out of it to a new metaverse because that, that digital world is becoming free and is not controlled by third parties. So that's... I'm trying to explain something very complex. I'm trying to explain a world that's hard to imagine. But if you start to understand that transformation, you'll understand why there's hundreds of billions of dollars flowing into the space. And you'll understand why one of the biggest companies in the world with some of the smartest people you'll ever meet, including the CEO, like him or hate him, literally changed their name and changed their whole focus as a company from a social media company that's Web 2.0, that's been the 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 the, the, the predominant use case of the internet over the last few years, over the last couple of decades, to Web 3.0, which is an immersive open metaverse. They've done that. If that's not enough of a signal for you to understand what I'm trying to talk about, um, yeah, I don't know what is as an entrepreneur. Sick, dude. That is, um, you're, I, I, I like how, how you make it relatively simple um, for anyone who's following. Um, I figure, you know, uh, I'm usually uh, the least brightest in the room, so I, I, if I can understand it, then I'm hoping that the the audience can understand what you're what you're sharing and picking up what you're putting down. So I appreciate the the explanations. I really like when you said um, that NFTs are the atomic unit of the metaverse. Uh, that like so, I mean, I know you're, you're using Ready Player One, great movie by the way. If you haven't seen it, um, based off a, 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 a great book as well, but. Um, the Matrix is really where I see it as well, um, which I'm a huge fan of. And I'd like to get into and explore a little bit with you some of the negative ramifications of this, right? Because although it's cool and it's sexy and it's entertaining and you can sort of escape, it's right. We use movies and television to escape reality. This to me, there's sort of a dangerous way that this can go where people spend all their time in the metaverse and they don't socialize and they don't create those hard skills um, in life. 
right? Um, and, and and they crap in buckets, <laughs> you know, like the like you know we have their worst case scenarios in 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 Asia where people just game all day long, and then they actually have a term in Korea uh, for people who die playing video games, like literally just die from dehydration or you know malnutrition. You know, uh, they actually have a word for it. So. Where do you see? Like I, I'm with you. I, I, I have my own headset, and 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 I'm into it. But then I also see the sort of scary way that this can go. Yeah. So humans are pretty a, a very interesting species. A good thing about us is we tend to find solutions to those problems. So, you know, with the with the metaverse, you already have metaverses created that are focused on fitness, for example. Where you know when I put my Oculus and I play the boxing game. Man, I, I start huffing and puffing afterwards. Um, so fitness is well taken care of. It can be well taken care of. Socializing. Well, we're the best way to answer what you said is that we're already there. Like how often do you meet new people in a library or in a cafe, randomly chat someone in a cafe? It sounded like it's going to be horrible for the world, but I don't see that happening. I see people chatting to people that are uh, in lockdown in different countries during COVID or people that are stuck in Ukraine during the war, you can connect with them right now. How could you do that before the internet? And imagine being able to do that in a more immersive way, whether there's a pandemic, whether there's a war, or whether it's just too expensive or difficult to get on a plane to go to my brother's wedding that I have to freaking do in a week. I wish I could just appear <laughs> there by putting my, my goggles on. I hate, I hate flights. By putting my goggles. And I fly, I, at you one stage, I was, on a, I was on a flight every in end of last year. I was on a flight every two days oh, for dude. a couple of months. Yeah. Every two, like maximum hell. three days, I'm on a flight from Germany to Puerto Rico, then back to Turkey, then back Ugh. up to Canada, then back down to Miami, then back to Europe. That's rough, man. It was tough. Uh, and I hated it. But I'm like, you know, I'm doing it. I told my team, I'm like, guys, I don't want to speak at events anymore unless it's here in Dubai. And there's a lot here in Dubai because it's a crypto hub. As, as long as it's here in Dubai, mm. maybe I go to big events once or tw- once uh, every couple of months. That's it. Otherwise, I just want to do Clubhouse. I used to be very, you know, I used to be very active on Clubhouse. I used to run uh, big rooms at the peak, either Clubhouse, podcast, etc. So I'm already we're using that virtual world. Am I experiencing it less so because we're digital? Yes, I'm sure. If I met you and I shook your hand, it's a better experience. But we want that experience, and there's already solution. Haptics are our technology to allow you to be able to touch, and, and soon there's going to be technology to allow you to smell. So you'll be able to smell. Imagine you put your goggles on and you're, you're stuck. Let's say you're stuck in, in, um, in Hong Kong, okay? In the city center. And you work every day. You don't have time to go out to the, to the countryside. Imagine you'll be able to put your goggles on and put a few other equipment on you. And you could smell grass and hear the fountain and hear and see the birds. It's not real. Yes, it's not real. Now, obviously, real is a perception. We can get very technical and I won't do that. But it's not real. It's digital, okay? But the experience is the same. What, what, what defines what is real or not? We're chatting right now. Years ago, we'd say this is not really meeting someone, but you've got people marrying people all virtually. So um, I think those issues are already in the process of being solved and they'll continue getting solved, but I'm sure there'll be problems. So people expect the metaverse to bring equality to the world and be more open and, and bank the unbanked and do things that are very utopian. Unfortunately, the human species is a very imperfect uh, species. Very, very imperfect. And our imperfections will continue to the digital world. It means greed will still be there. Emotions will still be there. So a lot of the issues we face in the physical world will exist in the virtual world. But net-net, 
every technology over the last few hundred years has generally brought a better quality life to us as a species. Otherwise, we wouldn't be using it. We wouldn't be adapting to it and adapting it, uh, adopting it. So I expect the digital world to do the same. It will be a process. You'll find a lot of flaws you can point out. Um, but if you think this may not happen, it's important to understand it's already happened. It's just improving right now. So from, from what I've gathered and what I know of you so far, um, I think that you're going to be able to answer this in a, in a very sort of philosophical and spiritual way um, is what I'm imagining. So you mentioned the human species is very flawed, right? We're also the most intelligent species that we're aware of. Now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to present a whole host of challenges. And, you know, there has been the rise and fall of many, many civilizations, right? We're one of them um, currently. And do you think, in your opinion, Mario Nafal, that we're ready for this? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, think, I don't think we'll ever be ready because this is opening up doors that are very, you know, I'm a pretty liberal person, very open-minded, loves change, never judges. You know, I don't mind. If someone says, Mario, there's a way you could live forever, I'll do it. I'm trying to, you know, biohack my, my life as long as possible. So I'm a, I'm a pretty out there person already. But, you know, I'm already concerned by, you know, if you see what happened in Ukraine and knowing that one person has the ability to press a button and change the world we live in and end a lot of lives. I know that this new virtual world is going to also bring up challenges that I don't think we have the systems to be able to manage. So what I mean by this is, you know, we've got atomic weapons right now, okay? And I don't think the systems that we have put us in a safe place to allow for such weapons to exist on the planet. And you look at countries that don't have a democratic system, and then you see even countries that have a democratic system like the US, it's not as perfect as we'd like to think it is. So now if we move to a virtual world, and that's also that's where AI kicks in as well, it's also going to bring up a lot of new challenges where these worlds are virtual. People are spending their life, they're building their empires on there. And then that's where cyber attacks become a bigger problem. And um, I just feel there'll be ways that power is going to condense in that virtual world that's going to be even harder for us to deal with. Um, if you look at the problems we've had over time, if you look at hundreds and hundreds of years ago, back during castle days, you know, things are bad. You can go out to the countryside and that's it. You're safe. You're far away from all the headaches. But now in a virtual world, you're just in it 24 seven. Um, I just, I'm just worried where that will go to. I don't think we'll ever be ready, but I don't think it matters either. I think we're already in that world. Um, and as I said, it's just a world that's evolving rather than the new world that's, that we're heading to if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the honesty. And I know we could probably chat for another hour just based on this, uh, you know, the, the social ramifications and, um, you know, the, the pros and the cons of, of all of this and where this, you know, we, we can try to look into our crystal balls and, and predict where this can all move. Uh, but like you said, there are brilliant people who are developing these things. And as they develop the, uh, you know, Web 2.0, they knew the possibilities of where it could go. They knew there would be cyberbullying. They knew there would be people creating, you know, uh, um, you know, I feel like so. So the, there's the there's a the term that money only enhances what you already are. So if you're an asshole, you're just becoming more of an asshole. If you're a genuine person who actually loves and cares about people, society and the world, it's going to enhance that. 
Money will only enhance what you already are. So my concern is that when you start to create another universe called whatever you want to call it, where people can now opt in or opt out or go in and you know do have, they're going to create more of what are we we haven't locked down what we're doing here in the physical verse, right? Like that isn't even perfected. And then now we're going to go create another thing. It's almost like you're creating another business. Let's put it in business terms. You create a business, right? And it's somewhat successful, but it can be better, right? You, you can definitely strive to make it better, more efficient, um, helping more people. But then you're like, you know, I'm going to go start this other thing. <laughs> and then I'm going to build them both at the same time. Like, so there's that side of the coin, right, Mario, where it's like, why don't we figure our shit out here on Earth before we start building yeah. another universe? Yeah, I think I think a, a virtual world will not be too different than the physical world. But what what worries me is that now you've got the 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 risk of AI becomes a lot more real when you can you know you can have avatars that are like re imagine robots on in the physical world that are look like just like us and walking around us, but they're not us. That's no, I'm, from a logical perspective, that's a bit concerning because you know we don't know how how they coded and, and, and what could happen next. In that virtual world, that becomes a lot more possible. Now, a lot easier to happen than, than physical robots. But what I want to add to this, I think we're, we're far off such concerns becoming reality. But at the same time, you know, in 1940, we were far off atomic bombs. And I know I'm using that example, but, you know, we're in the midst of the war, so it's it's a kind of bit relevant. But we're far off that those weapons becoming a reality. Now they're a concern on many people's minds. You know, wealthy people are buying bunkers in New Zealand and, and you know, I'm, I'm genuinely considering it. So, because these are risks that we're not ready to, we're not well positioned to deal with. And I think the same will apply in the digital world um, and it could, it could even extend it beyond what we're dealing with now. So I agree with you there, but I also agree that it's far off a concern that we're going to have in the short term. Um, and for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs' job is to find opportunity. Um, and I think we've kind of, by talking about how transformational that could be, and that is pretty much inevitable, um, we're essentially telling any listener that this change is inevitable. This change is going to be massive, uh, similar to how the internet was. And what's good for you is, you know, you're able to create a lot of wealth by being early in that change. Mm, yeah, I love that. This was uh, only a scratch on the surface, folks. Um, I think that everything that we covered, I learned a ton in, in a short amount of time in terms of NFTs and, and the different phases, you know, where it currently is, where it's going um, and beyond. I'm sure there's a phase three, a phase four, all that stuff that we could dive into, but we we're running out of time. Um, and then also, you know, the metaverse, which is um, which is also intriguing and also um, worth at least becoming aware of where it's going so that you're not left behind. You know, like, uh, I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, Mario, but when computers started to become more home computers, right? It was desktop publishing and, um, you know, people only associated with business enterprise. Um, there was always that joke that people would call in to customer service for troubleshooting and they would say, okay, you know, they have to walk through. It's almost like having to defuse a bomb, you know, over the phone. And you, you realize that the trouble that they were having was, the CD-ROM is not a coaster, 
and they don't understand like why their mug they're like my 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 coaster holder's not working so like i feel like that's kind of where we are now it's very super even probably earlier than that you know like earlier my coaster's not working it's like oh she thinks her cd to drive whatever um but but we're not even there yet like i remember trying to explain to my parents creating a desktop physically and then saying okay so you see this pad of paper on the desk look here it also exists up here and then like moving the mouth right moving the cursor so that they understand how to move things on their virtual desktop but anyway let's let's at least dive into uh, a quick story and, and however long you want to take on this one because i know we are we're running out of time here but embracing the f word meaning failure if you can share a moment in time a story with the audience where you learned from failure yeah so since we're talking about crypto i've failed a lot and i hate it um, but also I'm a stoic person, so I try to make the most out of it as well. So since we're in crypto, I'll talk about my, my earlier crypto company. So not the new one, NFT tech, but in 2017, I launched IBC group, which is killing it now, but IBC group almost went bankrupt in 2018. So I was very private back then, extremely private. You Google me, there's no Instagram, no Facebook, no YouTube, nothing. I was a ghost. Um, and I liked it that way. I don't know why, but that's that's just how I was. You're no bu- busy lo- building. You're busy building, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so, and I was also a very private person, extremely private, to kept to myself. So that was me. And um, one of my CEOs took advantage of that. One of my executives took advantage of that and scammed the hell out of my company. Lost millions in 2017, 2018, wow. mainly 2018, and almost went bankrupt. In that same period, so in that same couple of months, uh, I was getting scammed. And it was a pretty deep, like that was, it, the scam was so deep and well, well planned. It was just, it was insane. It was like movie-like. And then uh, I was diagnosed with a, with a tumor, with a pituitary adenoma. Back then that it was bleeding for a day and they wanted urgent surgery, et cetera. Now, now it's all good. It wasn't cancerous. And in that same period, um, my other company, Fruity, um, got scammed by one of our suppliers. Um, they were meant to comp- indemnify us again against a patent case, et cetera. The, the company I told you about, Fruity. So Fruity was dying because of that. Like it hit us. One of our best selling products shut down and we're getting sued for a lot of money. IBC got scammed. I had the tumor and I was also going through a personal emergency. So for, you know, uh, you know so you could look at not only a failure in one thing, but like everything I built for years is like all just crumbling down in front of me. Um, so that's one example of failure that I had. Um, my uncle, who's also the general manager of Fruity Australia, he goes to me, he's like, Mario, I'm, I'm just, it's just weird. I want to ask you a question. I, you know, we always talk business and, and stuff, but I want to ask you a personal question. He's like, Mario, like things are, are not good, but here we are having a call like we do every day. And you tell me what needs to be done. And, and I'm updating on the progress. And it's like, you're just wake up every day and you're working the same, same old, same old. How do you do it? I'm like, it was a weird question to me. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, I don't know, like, do I have a choice? So when someone, when you're going through failure and it feels like shit, by the way, and when you're going through failure, when you're sitting in bed being sad, you realize that, you know, you can either fight that and that's your best, that's the best thing you could do because all other options other than dealing with the failure and keep moving forward are making things worse. If you sit in bed, you're making it worse. 
And that thought process made me realize that this is the reason I kept fighting through each bit of failure that I've gone through. And I've gone through a lot. Like You wouldn't believe the stuff I went through. And then if you want help in having that mindset, there's a great, very short book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. I've recommended it every time a, a podcast or an interview or an event asks me to recommend a book. That's the book I've always recommended because you'll all go through failure, whether failure through, through life or the health-based, personal-based, business-based. The way you deal with your failure will dictate the outcome. Again, the way you deal with that failure will dictate the outcome. And then that book will allow you to put that into perspective in a very logical and smart and, and relatable way. So that's the book I would recommend uh, for anyone to, to read, to get a sense of how I was thinking during my um, the, the, the F word event. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, man. I mean, you, you, you listed multiple failures there. Um, one being, and you did, you could have dove deep in any one of those, but the one in particular that I appreciate you sharing was, you know, a partner basically stealing from you. And, you know, that's, um, obviously as entrepreneurs and business owners, there's something that we weren't paying attention to, you know, whether we were spreading ourselves too thin or we trusted the wrong person or we did, we ignored red flags along the way. There's a lot of different things that I'm imagining, um, probably could have prevented, or at least the outcome would have been slightly different or better. Um, but I appreciate you sharing that. Um, the book I want to add, by the way, uh, the audio experience, meaning the audio book is better than the book because of the two hour conversation that he has with Tim Ferriss on the podcast, all about the book. <laughs> so there's a lot of content, even more so. And I actually enjoyed that conversation more than the book. I have to go back and revisit the book, but I listened to it and I was like, oh shit, bonus. <laughs> the freaking conversation with uh, with those guys is, is killer. So um, dude, thank you so much for, oh, really quick. We didn't get to cover this, but you said that there's um, an opportunity on the table for you to buy one of the biggest podcasts. So why buy a podcast? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, see, of course. Um, I've gone through the experience and the cost of speaking around the world. And I know the, the cost of attention. Um, having people, I think uh, you talked about Gary earlier. He, he used to talk a lot about the attention economy. Um, and I thought, you know, he's overhyping it, but it's, it's, it's very true. Getting people's attention is more difficult than ever. And right now people are, have got those little cute white things called AirPods in their ear and I'm in their head. I'm in all your, 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 your minds right now. And whatever I say will sink in. And I've got 30 to 40 minutes of your time, which is so freaking valuable. Um, podcasts allow you to do this. And for me, and I've, I've been very active on Clubhouse, which died now. When I was active on Clubhouse, I would have like 10,000 people a day with, with me in their head every day, seven days a week. And the impact was crazy. I would tell them, I remember once I told them all, hey, I want everyone right now, take their phones, take a photo of either themselves, a selfie or their surrounding and send it all to me on Instagram. And I just had my Instagram flooded with photos within seconds, hundreds and hundreds of photos. And at that time, it was one of the, we the most interesting experiences I've been through just having all these photos onto my Instagram of all these real people spending their time, whether they're making, doing the washing, whether they're working, having coffee, going for a walk, petting their dog, relaxing in bed, having a shower, all of them just taking a photo and sending it to me. I'm like, hey, Mario, you're, I'm, sharing your, I'm sharing my time with you in that intimate space of mine. Um, it kind of hit me. The power of podcasts and attention is still underrated after all these years. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely, man. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And um, that's the next level. You know, I, I have conversations with people about it. Uh, I have several clients that ask if, you know, I can make the connection and broker that sort of deal. Um, but yeah, creating an asset is basically what it is. And someone's created an asset. We can call it a podcast, call it a video podcast, call it whatever it is, uh, but it's worth something like an NFT. Like how I tied that in, Mario. But uh, <laughs> and it has value, and there's someone out there that wants what you have. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, well, because they're going to leverage it and they're going to create something even bigger, hopefully, from it. So best of luck on that. I'm sure you're going to crush that. Uh, what's the best way? I'm sure people are going to want to read, want to learn. I know you have a you have you have wonderful content out there in blog forms and other forms. Uh, but yeah, how can people learn more? Get in touch with you. Yeah, sure. So. I think anyone listening to this will probably be more interested in the NFTs and where that space is heading for opportunities. So there's a company I co-founded called NFT Tech. And that's one I think I mentioned earlier, we're looking at listing it. So we essentially allow investors exposure to the space by just buying the stock. Um, and we get all these early access to deals and understand the space and get those great returns. That's what, you know, that's what our mandate is. So if you want either to know more about that company, but more importantly, just get more updates from me and the team of on where the space is heading. Uh, I think it's worth checking out nft.com. So it's nft, sorry, nfttech.com, nfttech, T-E-C-H, uh, for technologies, nfttech.com. Uh, put your email there. Um, at least will be your, your guide into the space and hopefully educate you in the space. Very cool, man. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for sharing some time with me. Thanks for educating me and, and, and the listeners on everything that you're doing and appreciate it. Pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And please recommend us to one or two people in your circle. That will go a long, long way to growing our community. Also, if you could rate us on iTunes, just take a moment uh, to give us five stars. And if they have more stars, give all of them. We'd greatly appreciate you for that. And always, always like, subscribe, and share, share, share this show on social media. We'd love you for that as well. And if you have any ideas or want to hear something on a future show, please hit us up. Maybe you have a question for one of my guests or you want to uh, tell a story, a success story. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, especially if you're on the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. Once again, folks, thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle. Please like, subscribe, and share share, share, share. I am Eric Cabral. And as always, remember, your network is your net worth. So get in the circle. Mm -hmm.